1: Come with me. That the word of God says it, I believe it!
0: And that's the way it is. And now,
1: here is Janet Mefford.
0: Thank you so much for joining us again. What makes a nation rise and what makes it fall? History is certainly littered with the accounts of civilizations that once thrived and then fell, many of which are now long forgotten to people today. But it's an important question for the United States because, as my next guest notes, there is considerable evidence that our country is subject to stresses that could well be critically damaging. And joining me now is attorney and author Joseph Johnston, Jr. He is a member of the American Law Institute, former visiting lecturer at the University of Virginia Law School and author of the book we'll be discussing. It's called The Decline of Nations, Lessons for Strengthening America at Home and in the World. Joseph, wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much for being with us.
2: Okay, John, it's my pleasure. Glad to be with
0: you. Well, thank you. You know, when it comes to decline, and I know you touch on this in your book, there's such a thing as temporary decline and then kind of a revival, and then there's permanent decline. What would you say is America's state right now in terms of decline? Do you think it's likely temporary or possibly permanent?
2: Well, I certainly hope that it's temporary, and I I think that there are are some ways that that we can repair the the damage that's been done. It's not permanent. I mean, I start my book with, with the Roman Empire, which collapsed over a long period of time, and, and it was permanent, yeah. and then I have a chapter on Britain, and Britain collapse uh, did not collapse, but declined, and then came back. So uh, it's not permanent, but there are certain forces that are leading toward uh, a partial decline, but those forces... In my opinion, uh, can be reversed, and and we can return and become a a, a successful nation dedicated to freedom and prosperity which we have been in the
0: past. Yes, I think that that is a good way to go. I much rather would be optimistic than pessimistic. You had mentioned the Roman Republic and the Roman Empire, and of course, everybody will know of Edward Gibbons' work on this whole thing, but so many people compare us or talk about the United States and compare it to the Roman Empire and look at all the similarities between what they went through and what we're going through now. How similar would you say we actually are to the Roman Empire? Because you do talk about the Roman Republic and the fall, but then there was kind of a revival of the Roman state that lasted for quite a while. How would we compare, would you say, to Rome when you look back on it?
2: Well, I think the comparisons to the Roman Republic are, are strong. The Roman Republic, uh, on which, which our founding fathers were very familiar with, was a republic that had checks and balances. It was a, had a strong citizenry, a strong military, uh, and in the beginning they had, a, they had strong religion uh and and they had strong moral values, and they had checks and balances they had they had popular assembly, they had tribunes of the people and and uh, a, a good republican system. That collapsed at the end of the first century and the beginning of the of the, the end of the second century, the beginning of the first century BC. and eventually you ended up uh, with Julius Caesar who seized total power, and then you ended up with... Uh, uh, Augustus and the Roman Empire, in which liver, individual liberty and freedom were lost, and you ended up with a, a total bureaucracy. Hmm. And the empire was vastly overextended, so that the, the 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 army that they had, which was a good army, could no longer defend it. And overexpansion is a risk that republics face, and it was a risk that eventually led to the destruction of the Roman Empire. And we have ourselves in, in this country engaged to some extent uh, in recent decades in over-expansion. Fortunately, I think we have, are, have learned that lesson, I hope, and are, are not engaging in overexpansion which would endanger our republic in the future.
0: Well now one of the things that you talk about when you're discussing the fall of the Roman Republic is the rise of class warfare and the decline of the independent peasantry and there are other things as well the expansion of the empire the breakdown of political institutions but class warfare is something that's very much on the minds of Americans right now because it seems that in particular the left has fomented this kind of class warfare this kind of balkanization of America and this Seems to be something that a lot of us have not seen in action before, in quite the way we're seeing it. What do you make of it? This class warfare that really seems to be on the rise in the United States.
2: That's an excellent point, Janet. Very good point, and it and it is rising, and it is divisive, and it is dangerous. And that indeed was one of the things that led to the decline of the Roman Empire. Uh, you had you had uh, class warfare beginning. I guess probably with the revolt of the Gracchi in the end of the first century BC, and then on into the to the uh, formation of the Roman Empire, and you, you had a clash of, 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 of classes. the The plebeian class was looked down on by the aristocracy and the aristocracy, and then the, the empire itself became a bureaucracy which favored the elite classes over the ordinary people, and that was a serious problem, and it's a serious problem for us. Yes, and we have a, a new elite, and I talk about this in the book. We we formally, I mean, all societies to some extent have an elite. Uh, you can't avoid that. There there are groups of people who are more talented, and and willing to take risks and and uh, it, adventures, and they sometimes have advantages, but when one class chooses itself as the elite and begins to oppress and dominate other classes, then you have a problem, and our elites today are, unfortunately, uh, a media elite, an elite that dominates our educational system uh, and and the media and, and certain aspects of society that takes on responsibilities and And powers that over the uh, ordinary classes of people, which ought to be in America in charge, (laughs) but but in effect have abandoned their uh, ability to lead.
0: Yeah, You're so right about that. And here we are, a republic that's supposed to be governed by we, the people, and we're supposed to be electing representatives to do what we want. And for years, people have been complaining that we elect people and they go up and they seem to be, when once they're in the beltway, they seem to do what's against the people who put them there. And I mean, this is uh, this division is really becoming more stark and more scary for a lot of Americans, particularly when you're seeing elites like big tech censoring ordinary Americans, Kicking them off their Facebook pages for saying things that uh, perhaps Mark Zuckerberg doesn't like. I mean, this kind of thing where you have the elite silencing people whose opinions are not okay with them. Where does that end, and how do you actually fix that?
2: Well, that's right, Janet. Exactly right. Very dangerous, and and big tech is a is a good example of that. I mean, and I think fortunately the awareness of that is is, is growing uh, in this country, and I think certain places in certain states are, are taking it recently more recently Florida yes taking some action to counteract the dominance of, of big tech and it, it is monopolistic and it's dangerous those companies uh, in my view under the antitrust laws ought to be broken up yep. or at least disciplined and so that they don't endanger uh the public the way they are there there's been A breakdown in society generally that I think is is very troublesome, a moral breakdown, a breakdown of family structure, uh, urban unrest, cities are being destroyed by people who run the cities, and the people who run the cities are doing nothing. Police are leaving the police forces in some of these cities, and so you see uh, a general breakdown of morality. Basic values are declining, self-control. Loyalty, loyalty, prudence, temperance, diligence, thrift, hard work, and so forth. Those old uh, Victorian values are declining, and and, uh, newer values of celebrity uh, are increasing. And so I think, overall, we need to return to what our founders set forth as the uh, original values that this society was built on.
0: No doubt about it. There's a lot more to talk about. We'll pause for a short break. Joseph Johnston Jr. with us. The Decline of Nations is his book. And we'll return to the conversation after this break. Stay with us here on Janet Mefford today. Emmy was in a bad relationship when she found out she was pregnant. Her boyfriend told her to get an abortion, which she seriously considered. I knew that if
1: I got an abortion, a part of me would be broken.
0: Emmy went to a pre-born center in need of guidance.
1: They honestly were able to put every fear at ease and let me know that it was going to be okay. I couldn't imagine my life without him. Because of them, he's here.
0: Preborn clinics introduce moms in crisis to their babies through ultrasound while providing hope, love, and the gospel of Jesus Christ in action. Would you join Preborn in helping more moms choose life? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies from abortion. And this month, through a match, your tax deductible gift is doubled. To donate, call now 855 402 BABY. That's 855 402 2229. 855-402-2229 or there's a pre-born banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a healthcare program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new healthcare program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their healthcare needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that offers affordable healthcare sharing programs starting as low as $199 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families, offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT.
1: You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet.
0: Welcome back. So good to have you with us and great to have with us Joseph Johnson, Jr., member of the American Law Institute and author of The Decline of Nations, Lessons for Strengthening America at Home and in the World. And I love looking back at history, Joseph, as you've done in this book, you look at Rome, the Roman Republic, the Roman state, for example, the British Empire. This really helps us to put our our current situation into context and really think deeply about this decline that we're seeing all around us. You had mentioned before we went to the break, and I think this is such an important point, that we're seeing a breakdown, a real breakdown across the United States, a breakdown in family, as you mentioned, urban unrest, the destruction of our cities, police are leaving their posts and people are calling for them to be driven out. This has to do with the character of our nation, obviously, and putting aside a lot of the great values upon which our republic was strengthened and was able to prosper for so many years. How do you see the importance of moral character in terms of keeping a republic afloat?
2: Well, I, I see that as very important. In the 20th century, what we saw was a growth of moral relativism. Yes. That is, we are losing moral authority. You saw that beginning in the uh, 20th century, and I, I discussed this in the book. Uh, when the Founding Fathers founded this country, they founded it based on moral certain basic moral principles. And I, I listed some of that uh, earlier in our conversation, uh, and we are losing those principles today. And part of that is is uh, attributable to a decline in religious observance. Yes, which I talk about in the book. Uh, the United States was founded by people who believed that religion is necessary to the survival of republican principles, and George Washington, among others of the founding founders talked about that. I quote him in in my book. uh, Washington said, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. And common sense tells us that, and we know that. And uh, the Christian religion, of course, uh, advances that. In the 20th century, the profession of religious belief seemed to decline over a a long period of time and was replaced by a philosophy of relativism and subjective justice rather than objective justice. And uh, uh, American society became, as I say in the book, intoxicated with a doctrine of personal (laughs) self-fulfillment. And with those spheres of activity uh, open to the sovereign individual, but there's a limit to limit to unlimited self realization sir. Sure. There has to be some transcendental purpose, some purpose that goes beyond the uh power of the individual, otherwise uh everything uh can be can be justified, as Dostoevsky said. Uh, if God is does not exist, then everything is possible.
0: That's right. That's exactly right. Love him. The, and this is so important because more and more we're seeing the state take a kind of sovereign role in people's lives as, uh, you know, Christianity declines, church membership is on the decline, and we see these numbers year after year after year. One of the things that I love that you say in the book is that the great attraction of America used to be that anyone could come here and make it. This is what you're basically saying. And now we increasingly have people. In companies wanting to be bailed out by government. And this also touches on the issue of the the lack of self-reliance and discipline, but also the out-of-control spending of government. You can't have people continually turning to the government. What are we, $25 trillion now in the hole? At some point, we have to pay the piper. And it seems a lot of Americans have forgotten that you can just play this game only so long. At, At what point do we end up just in financial calamity?
2: Well, that's exactly right, Janet, and uh, and you're right. As a matter of fact, it's more than 25. The the, the national debt is approaching 29 trillion dollars. Crazy. That's trillion with a T. Yeah. I mean, how can you possibly deal with a, with numbers like that? And the the present administration is proposing an additional six trillion. That's trillion with a T of spending, on top of what's already being incurred. And uh, they're proposing some kinds of enormous tax increases. All of those things hurt the economy. Yep. Regulatory and tax burdens are getting worse. The federal government is spending unbelievable amounts of money. That's going to lead to a, a worse economy, lower productivity, higher taxes, overregulation, and a disincentive to work. Right. We already have unemployment benefits that are so high that they're discouraging people from going back into the workforce. Wow, This is a very dangerous situation.
0: Yeah, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible, and at a point in history where a lot of these companies are trying to get back on their feet again after the pandemic and all of the financial hardship that a lot of those businesses suffered, and they're out there having to raise their wages so high just to try to find basic people to come in because people would rather, in many instances, take unemployment than go back to work. I mean, that also speaks to our moral character, doesn't it? Because that's not typical of of America, you know what was typical of America—at least when I was growing up—was everybody wanted to try to work hard and be responsible and make it in America, as you say. And those days seem to be waning a bit.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's Absolutely. just depressing. I
2: mean, <laughs> you now have you now have not only fiscal irresponsibility, but as I said before, a, a breakdown of the family and marriage and, and society, and yep. and uh, uh, you, you have a unemployment benefits that discourage people from going back to work. Yes. And and the hard work and, and the work ethic was something on which this country was built. That's right. And we need to return to that.
0: Oh, for sure. You know, another sign of decline you discuss is the inability or unwillingness of a nation to defend its people against external or internal enemies. How do you think America is doing on that score?
2: Well, I think we're not doing as well as we should. I think under the uh, the trump administration he, he rebuilt the military to a certain extent which had badly deteriorated yes uh under, under pre- previous administrations and uh but now i think uh, uh if you look for example at the heritage foundations 2021 index of military strength which is a wonderful resource for those who are interested in this subject the overall rating that the Heritage Foundation gives to U.S. military power is marginal. In other words, it's below strong and just barely above weak. Yeah. And uh, the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, and the Heritage Foundation goes into all of those efforts are not as strong as they used to be. I mean, I was in the Army long ago, and we had a strong military and strong Navy, and we still have a... Pretty decent military compared to other countries, but the Chinese are getting much much stronger yep. are building uh, tremendous uh, uh, uh military forces based on hypersonic missiles and space technology and other things which we're lagging in, and we have to pay more attention to that yeah. uh, because uh we have to have a strong military rather than a weak military uh to do, we don't have to engage in in uh excessive adventures abroad but we need to be able to defend ourselves from the dangers which we can already see in front of us.
0: You're right about that. You're right about that. And and at the very moment where we most need to be focused on external enemies like China, uh, there are some in the United States who seem to absolutely love having Americans fight against one another. And here we have President Biden saying the greatest threat here is domestic terrorism in the form of white supremacists and nationalists, which we all know is bunk. That's not true. We have far greater enemies than that, but it's a way of the left trying to punish its enemies, it's so foolish because at some point, this is just going to explode. It's going to backfire, I fear, in such a way that uh, it's going to be impossible to correct. And yet you are optimistic. What what would you say we need to do as a nation? And, and listeners who are hearing our conversation, what should we be focused on to try to rebuild this country and reverse this decline? Because I think you're right. It's not hopeless.
2: Janet, we need to return to the values of the founders individual liberty and responsibility, strong families, religious values, honesty, prudence, loyalty, thrift, hard work, self-control, discipline, patriotism, and also the Christian values of faith, hope, and charity. I mean, this will require, I'm afraid, a cultural counter-revolution, which will take a while. We need to start with the educational system, which is dismal. Yes,
0: yes. Yes. And
2: uh and and improve the performance of our schools starting from kindergarten up and teach the things that the children really need to know to become good to become good citizens.
0: Right. Right. Well, and it's so important, especially because you see so many pushing this wokeness in the schools and pushing critical race theory and trying to uh, pit people against each other over race. I mean, this is going backwards. Even if you change the race that you're attacking, it's, it's sheer racism to try to go after people because of the color of their skin, which is a lesson that a lot of us thought we learned oh, back yeah. in the 60s. It's ridiculous. Kids can't, can't learn to hate their fellow citizens just because of the color of their skin. We got to fix that.
2: Really well. Critical race theory is really dangerous. Yes. The theory that white people are inherently racist uh, and that they retain their economic and political power by oppressing people of culture. Mm. I mean, this is not only feist, false, but it's divisive. Yes. And we and that's we, that's infiltrated into the public schools, and we've got to do something about it. We've got to we've got to uh, pay attention to the school boards, get elected to school boards, and watch look at what our, our children are being taught.
0: Well, that's right. I, I think that that's critical. And I like your idea of a cultural counter-revolution. I, I I see the beginnings of that, what I hope and pray will continue to grow, where people are waking up to this attack on our values as Americans, and especially in critical race theory. There's beginning to be a lot of pushback against that. And that might actually be a good turning point for us, along with these other things that you've mentioned, a return to the values of the founders and Christian values as well. It's absolutely critical. Great book, The Declan- Line of Nations. Joseph Johnston Jr. is the author. So honored to have you here, Joseph. I really appreciate talking to you. Thank you so much,
2: Janet. It was really a great pleasure. Good conversation, and uh, uh, I like what you're doing. And keep it up. Oh,
0: you too. Thank you again. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com.
1: This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford.
0: It's interesting to see how things are morphing in the media concerning the Wuhan lab. I remember not too long ago, within the last year, I don't remember exactly when it was. I'd have to look it up, and I don't have time to look that up, but I'm just going to remember for you off the top of my head when we had no less than Ed Stetzer, he formerly of Lifeway Research and now Mr. Wheaton College, making fun of Christians, making fun of Christians who he believed believed were conspiracy theorists for believing that the Wuhan lab had a leak. And that's how the coronavirus escaped out into the world and ended up spreading around the world. And, oh, he thought this was such a ridiculous conspiracy theory. I wonder what Ed Setzer is saying now. And, you know, the Gospel Coalition was the same way. You always have these very snooty liberals over there poo-pooing any idea that you would ever distrust. The government. Well, they distrust the government if a Republican is in the White House. But if there is a Democrat in the White House or if there are Democrat lawmakers who are saying something, then you can take it to the bank. Because if there's one thing we can say about liberals, it's that they always tell the truth. OK, sure. Well, let's look at what's going on now. We now have President Biden ordering a closer intelligence review of what he claims are two equally plausible scenarios of the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic. (laughs) This is kind of interesting because the New York Post has a story that just came out and it's uh, alluding here to a CNN report published on Tuesday saying the Biden administration ended an inquiry, as we recall, into a possible connection between the origins of the novel coronavirus and a lab in Wuhan. Huh. So when the Trump administration wanted to do something to look into the origins of COVID-19, the Biden administration shut it down. The State Department, they say, launched the previously undisclosed inquiry last fall under Trump, but the effort was shut down this spring because of concerns about the quality of its work. Oh, right. That that was why. Oh, wait a minute. I, I keep forgetting the cardinal rule. Liberals always tell the truth. And if I ever have any sort of doubts in my mind about what a liberal is telling me, whether it's the media or whether it's a liberal politician, then clearly I'm a conspiracy theorist and I'm probably wearing a tinfoil hat. And I probably, I don't know, whatever, I probably believe in some kind of wacky UFO conspiracy. You know, just QAnon, just add it on to my resume because if you question liberals, clearly you're a conspiracy theorist until it's shown that in fact you were right in the first place. We can talk about stolen elections next, but let's stick first to COVID-19. Allies of Mike Pompeo, who was Secretary of State under President Trump, were looking into the possibility that the coronavirus pandemic may have started in the Wuhan Institute of Virology and not in nature. Well, it wasn't so long ago that I did a whole show on Nicholas Wade's piece. He was the three decades long New York Times science writer, probably the most eminent science writer in the media in the United States. And he did a whole long piece in Medium, which I went into in detail. You can go on my website and find that show in the last couple of weeks if you want to re-listen to it or listen to it for the first time. His whole thing was according to the evidence, and it was very neutral. I mean, he was not trying to take one side or another. He was actually trying to be very scientific. If you look at all the possibilities, the two main possibilities that it came out of nature or it was leaked from a lab and then there was one more possibility that was way off the mark that wasn't even really being taken seriously. But if you look at the main two theories, he said there's no evidence that it came from nature. None. And you can go into the details on this. So who knows if this made a big difference? But now Biden is saying, oh, well, you know, we, we have to assess. What's going on here? And we need to have a closer intelligence review. He's ordered this and he talked about the two equally plausible scenarios of the origins of COVID-19. They're not plausible. Go back and read Nicholas Wade's piece. Not that Biden would read that piece, but there it is. So what's interesting to throw into the mix here is the fact that the Wall Street Journal came out with a report quite interesting reporting this week that three researchers at the Wuhan lab had been sick with COVID-19 symptoms back in November, 2019 shortly before the first case of coronavirus was reported. Um, This was from a previously undisclosed U S intelligence report. Quite interesting. Three researchers got sick before there was ever a first case of COVID-19 announced publicly. Hmm. Now, you'll recall the World Health Organization did a quote-unquote investigation, and they put onto the investigation team Peter Daszak, who was involved in funding that gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab, and we went into all of that a few weeks ago. But this was kind of interesting because Dr. Marty McCary from Johns Hopkins was in, was interviewed by Harris Faulkner over on Fox about this, and she asked him, how common is it for people working in a lab to get so sick that they have to be hospitalized. This is what he had to say. Cut one.
2: Lab accidents are very common. And this information that three lab workers were seen and evaluated and hospitalized is enough circumstantial evidence now that it's no longer a lab hypothesis. It is the default conclusion. And we can call for more investigations all we want, but we're not going to get it. We're not going to get witness protection for those key sources. We're not going to get the original samples. They've probably been destroyed. We probably have all the info we need right now.
0: I hope Ed Stetzer is listening to Fox News. Of course, he believes Fox News is all conspiracy theories day and night, 24-7, 365 days a year. So I don't think we're going to move Ed from his position necessarily. But how about this one with Republican lawmakers continually drumming this louder and louder drumbeat to get rid of Dr. Anthony Fauci? Oh. We should have done this long ago. This is from the New York Post. Republican lawmakers calling for him to be fired amid his litany of shifting opinions on the coronavirus, its origin, and his stance on an investigation into the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Fauci is coming under fire from congressional Republicans who point to his admission that the National Institutes of Health earmarked $600,000 for the Wuhan Institute of Virology to study the possibility that bat coronaviruses could be transmitted to humans. That's kind of interesting because when he was, Put on the spot by Senator Rand Paul about this. He told him he was entirely incorrect. Now he's backpedaling a little bit. This guy can't be trusted. He told members of a house appropriations subcommittee on Tuesday that the money was provided to the lab through the nonprofit Eco Health Alliance and funded a modest collaboration with very respectable Chinese scientists who were world experts on coronavirus. You remember the bat lady? Right, but that's what Senator Paul said to begin with that they gave money to the Eco Health Alliance, which turned around with DASIC and funded the Bat Lady. Exactly. That's what we've said from the beginning here. That's what Nicholas Wade talked about in his article. That's what's been out there for quite a while. Now he's admitting it. But Fauci emphatically denied that the money went towards so-called gain-of-function research. Okay, well, we've already had people who are experts in biosafety uh, refuting that and saying this guy's just lying. I'm not saying it. There are other people in his own field, well, not his field because he's a bureaucrat, but in, in the field of science, which liberals love to trust without any equivocation, who've said that Fauci isn't telling the truth. And I'm on on board with that. Now, this is interesting because Representative Mike Gallagher a couple of weeks ago called for an investigation into the origins of COVID-19 to prevent the next pandemic. We've got these pieces of legislation that are going forward. And this is is good. I mean, obviously, we're going to have some difficulty here getting these through, but it's important for the effort to be made because everybody ought to be caring if their government is lying to them. And if you have people who are considered to be the COVID-19 gurus who are constantly flip-flopping, according to which way the wind is blowing. So you have, for example... Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene introducing a bill to fire Fauci, and that was after Representative Warren Davidson got behind the FIRED Act, which was introduced as well. And this was the I love the acronym here. The FIRED Act stands for Fauci's incompetence requires early dismissal. I agree. And in in the legislation for the fire Fauci Act, it would remind the American public that Dr. Fauci is the highest paid of all four million federal employees, including the president. He makes over four hundred thirty thousand dollars a year. It will cite numerous findings about his evolving and contradictory advice on covid-19. It will reduce his salary to zero until a new administrator is confirmed by the Senate. And also the We Will Not Comply Act does a lot of similar things and prevent uh, vaccine passports, for one thing, which is another drumbeat that's getting louder and louder. But this is all not looking good for Dr. Fauci, and it's really long past time. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. We'll be right back. fellow Christians are suffering in Africa this is Janet Mafford Pastor Lumo ministers in Mozambique near the Indian Ocean. He's been beaten and jailed many times, not merely for what he believes, but for how he lives out his faith. You see, Lumo has been quietly and faithfully sharing the gospel with Muslims, and many are coming to Christ. But extremists have assaulted Lumo, his family, and many in his church. But they're not asking for an end to the persecution they face. Instead, they're praying for God's word to endure and persevere as new followers of Christ. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture, giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. Through the ministry of Bible League International, you can send God's word to a new believer in Africa. $5 sends one Bible, $100 sends 20. Call now 800 Yes Word. That's 800 Y E S W O R D. Or there's an Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa banner to click at janetmefford.com.
1: Many people in developing nations have no access to desperately needed medical care. That's why Mercy Ships brings volunteers aboard our hospital ship, the Africa Mercy, to give the world's forgotten poor the free medical care they need. We have an immediate need for registered nurses, especially with a pediatric specialty. As a volunteer nurse, you won't just give life-altering health care, you'll receive so much in return.
0: It's an amazingly rewarding experience.
1: You'll give hope and make a difference in the lives of those who have virtually no access to medical aid.
0: It's such a fantastic thing to do. Everybody who I've met on this ship either wants to come back and do it again, or they're already here for the second, third, or tenth time.
1: So what are you waiting for? Show mercy to someone today.
0: I would say go for it.
1: Get more information and learn how to apply by visiting mercyships.org forward slash nurses. That's mercyships.org forward slash nurses. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet.
0: This is really interesting. The Heritage Foundation notes that Congress recently expanded Obamacare with temporary subsidy increases, and now liberal lawmakers are already trying to make these expansions permanent. The problem, as Heritage points out, a permanent Obamacare subsidy expansion would benefit primarily guess who? Wealthier people, those who already have private coverage and insurance companies. And it might also induce employers to drop employees' existing coverage, which would force workers into a government program with high cost sharing and narrow physician networks. Wow. I guess you should have read the bill before you passed it, right? Going back to then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi the first time around. We're going to get some thoughts on all of this now from Matt Bellis, who's Chief Communications Officer for Liberty HealthShare, a national Nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry. Matt, great to have you with us again.
1: Thanks for having
0: me, Janet. Sure thing. Well, we look at the American Rescue Plan Act, which spent about $90 billion in subsidizing free health insurance to the unemployed and making some of the highest paid workers eligible for premium assistance through the government. But now it's interesting. The CBO says this money didn't do much to increase the number of people with coverage. Now the Democrat politicians want to make the subsidies permanent, even though they increase the amount the government pays to health insurers on behalf of millions of people who already have subsidized coverage. know for the average listener it's like what what is going on and what is your perspective on all of this
1: (laughs) well a lot of times whenever you're trying to get some sort of logical result from the government you tend to get uh, just the opposite yes and uh, that just seems par for the course when it comes to an ACA style system where you have a government bureaucracy managing guiding directing other people's health care rather than individuals making those choices on their own. The market is far more effective, far more efficient, far more uh, 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 trustworthy with their own dollars. And the market is you and I. And so we need to have systems in place that respect individual choices, individual needs in health care, rather than one-size-fits-all government plans, subsidies, and the like. Uh, right. we, we need to go back to the patients.
0: Well, right. Now, you, you've you pointed out something very fundamental here, and that is the difference between the government being in charge and a bureaucracy, as you point out, running things as opposed to individuals managing their own health care costs as they do through the sharing at Liberty Health Share. Explain for listeners, though, because there are still a lot of people out there who look at the government as the ultimate solution. Would you mind diving into a little bit more detail on the difference between the government and the results of the government bureaucracy running your healthcare versus for instance liberty health share handling your healthcare needs through this wonderful healthcare sharing.
1: Well, whenever you're looking at a third party payment system, whether that is an insurance system or government or any system where the individual end user is not in charge or paying for the uh, product or service, uh, especially in healthcare, that third party does a worse job because they're using other people's money to be spent on other people. So it's a very ineffective way at taking care of someone's healthcare. We have seen over the past 10 years, just with the inaction of the ACA. A rise in costs, not a decrease in costs. We've seen at least, uh, on, on some instances, 25% of a rise in healthcare costs over the past 10 years, far above inflationary rates. Mm. Uh, we've actually seen a decrease in access, which increases the cost as well. We've seen rural hospitals close mm. uh, over the past 10 years. And so, with an encroaching government bureaucracy, you get just the opposite of what is promised. What's promised is lower prices, greater access, but what we end up seeing in the results is higher costs, higher premiums, higher deductibles, and fewer access uh, options to health care. But what you get in return of uh, joining a program like Liberty Health Share, it's not Liberty Health Share managing guiding or directing your health care, we empower the individuals to take that power back. We give them the option to hold the power of the first strings again, guided their direct, uh, guided, directed their own health care, backed up by a community of people that will be there for them, share in their medical expenses whenever they have something that comes up that is unexpected and unaffordable. So that really changes the game around whenever you have individuals on the front lines of their own health care costs. Rather than some bureaucrat three thousand miles away.
0: Well, right. And cost wise, this also makes a difference, doesn't it? When you take the third party out of the out of the equation, it, it lowers your costs overall in terms of what you're paying when you're doing sharing versus using Obamacare exchanges or even private health insurance.
1: We have unleashed the most powerful cost containment. Uh, a device in the known world, and that's the individual private pay patient. Being the one who is on the front lines of healthcare, care, asking doctors the right questions, figuring out what the costs of your health care should be, knowing how your healthcare is, is supposed to be run, being the one who is in charge of your health care rather than a third party decreases that cost ineffective with that is all of the cost-containment measures that we go through in terms of negotiating bills, getting cash prices, having options when it comes to the price of your health care. So if all of that combined, gives the person a lot of options, a lot of availability, and a much lower cost in health care.
0: Well, right. Now, this is kind of interesting. I was noting earlier that this expansion of subsidies could lead employers to ultimately drop employees' existing coverage. Now, that's a terrifying thought for a lot of people who rely on health care coverage through their employers. But again, people may be under the impression that the only alternative is government-run health care. I mean, what do you say to people? people who are concerned about that issue.
1: Well, I agree that there are certain aspects to our current healthcare system that are clearly broken. There are absolute uh, problems in how things are priced. You could go to an MRI at your local hospital and just down the street, uh, get another MRI, and there'd be a $15,000 disparity. Uh, We've seen runaway costs and premiums go through the roof, but the answer is not more bureaucracy, uh, more oversight. It's less. We need to come back to a system where individuals have the power again to manage, guide, and direct their own healthcare, and they can do that through a system like Liberty Health Share that protects them during those times that are unaffordable, that are unexpected.
0: Well, right now, when you talk about individuals managing and directing their own health care, talk about the specifics. What does that look like under Liberty Health Share and when you're engaging in health care sharing in a ministry of yours?
1: Well, being a person who is owning your health care again, one, means you get to choose your doctor and hospital. As long as your doctor in hospital is okay with you being a Liberty health Share member, we have no problems. We're not putting that restriction on you at all. So being able to guide and manage who you're actually seeing uh, for your health care, that's the first thing. Right. Second thing is we're not going to dictate to you what you can and can't do in terms of the procedures that your doctor says are necessary for your health. So you're working with your doctor in conjunction with him or her to get to better health and not be so encumbered by a bureaucratic system that makes those decisions for you. And third, and probably most importantly, you have an option about where you're going to send your dollars. And that's really important. So not only do you have the choice uh, of, of who you're going to see, what is going to happen to your body, but know that your dollars are not being utilized in a system that is uh, is inconsistent with your values, that they are absolutely going towards things that do not violate your conscience, that go towards your health and the health of others.
0: Well, right. So you're talking about things like abortion-inducing drugs, paying for those sorts of things, which became a big controversy and understandably so under or Obamacare, where we had all those lawsuits, where in particular there were Christians and Christian organizations saying, hey, listen, we don't want to have to pay for any sort of drug or any sort of procedure that would harm a baby in the womb.
1: Absolutely. And very much, I would suggest that anybody within the sound of my voice uh, who pays for uh, their, their own insurance in a private way, take a look at where your dollars are going. Ask the, uh, the, the uh, third-party carriers where that money is being utilized because a lot of times your money is going to be utilized for things that would violate your conscience. Mm. Money is fungible. It can be utilized for whatever purpose once it leaves your hands. And we want to make sure that our money that we're given is stewarded properly and not going towards to pay for those things that would violate our
0: conscience. Good words. Well, people can check out more at libertyhealthshare.org. That's libertyhealthshare.org. And check out Liberty Health Share a national nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry. Matt Bellis with us from Liberty Healthshare. And so good to talk to you again, Matt. Thanks a lot for being here.
1: Thanks for having
0: me. You bet. Have a great day. Thanks so much to you, too, for staying with us and tuning in each day here on Janet Meffer today. It's a real blessing to have you here. And we hope you'll tune in again next time. Take care.